Last week, we started a new series where we are talking about building the kingdom of God locally. All right, locally. And this is kind of perfect timing as we're doing this. We love our city. Uh, We use the phrase kingdom builders. Uh, You'll hear that often to talk about our missions giving uh, and really basically everything that's above and beyond the tithe. We kind of described it as at our church, we have two buckets. We have the tithe and we have kingdom builders. And we try and make it real simple. And, And so kingdom builders is everything on top of that. That is how we as a church are trying to build the kingdom of God, expand the kingdom of God, uh, in, in many different ways. So we break it down actually into three categories. All right, the first one is global. We have projects that we are doing around the world, all right, and that is having an impact and is, is growing the kingdom of God globally. Then we have a second category called future, and that actually has to do with the next generation, the future generations. All right, and that is all about how can we train, equip, love, reach teenagers, kids, anybody like that, uh, that right now maybe is not in a relationship with God, uh, and how can we, the ones that are, how can we build them up, train them up, and send them out? All right, and then the last one is, is local. It's things in our town, things in our state, uh, and things in our country. We kind of consider all of that to be local for us. All right, we have a list of all these projects. If you want them, uh, please let me know. You can talk to me. You can shoot me an email, uh, anything like that. I will get you that list. But we've talked about the first two in some sermons, and now we are talking about local. So how do we make an impact for God's kingdom right here, right now? All right, how do we live our lives in a way where we are actually making a difference? Where what you and I do on a daily basis matters, okay? And our city is better because we live here and we are part of it. Like, that's what we want to do. So last week, we talked about how one of the ways we can individually grow the kingdom of God and make a difference is by living a life where we are always serving others. This is an example that Jesus laid out for us. All right, not just like setting up specific times to serve, like our We Love Our City event, but really just living a life where every single day, every moment, uh, we, we are just looking for opportunities to make a difference in the world around us. All right, and the good thing about this is it doesn't take a seminary degree. It doesn't take a lot of money. Uh, Lots of times it doesn't even take a ton of time. All right, all we need is humility, love, and a willingness to act. So hopefully this past week you've been looking for more opportunities to serve the world that you live in. Uh, I was, I gave my kids a few opportunities. We were at the football game on Friday. And I was like, hey, there's a lot of trash in these bleachers. Why don't you guys run down and, and pick this up? I did pick up a little bit as well. But, you know, the Bible says you got to train up your children in the way they should go. No, so like even just little things like that. Like what can we do to make a difference? All right. So before we jump in for today, uh, I want to pray. So if you are able, if you're willing, would you stand with us? Uh, we're going to open in prayer. And as we do this, let, let's just kind of check, uh, check our hearts, check our attitude and mindset And if we need to, let's adjust it so that we are ready this morning to be impacted uh, by God and by his word. Okay, so let's do that right now. Uh, Lord, we just, we pray that anything that's going on in our mind, anything going on in our life uh, that would distract us from you, God, that we would just push that aside, Lord, and we would just focus on you. That this time would be a time of growth and it'd be a time of challenging, uh, a time of encouragement, Lord, whatever that would be. God, we ask this in your name. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. Last week we talked about using our actions 
to build the kingdom of God. Uh, and this week, we are talking about using our words. All right? Actions and words. And like I said, usually one of these, either actions or words, probably come easier to you than the other. If I said, you need to go and make an impact for God this week out in our city by using your actions or your words, most of us would say, there's one of those I am more comfortable doing. All right? Uh, but I want, to, I want us to get us all kind of thinking about the same, the same way on this, okay? Like, we can't just do one of these. We really need both of those. And before we can get into what it looks like to use our words, uh, let's get on the same page here, all right? We are called to invite people into this new way of living that Jesus established. That, that's part of my responsibility, part of your responsibility. We are called to invite the people around us into this to tell them about it. All right. Uh, whether you look at the Great Commission that says go and make disciples of all nations uh, or many other spots in scriptures, like this is obviously part of our life and job as a Christian. And we need to understand that we have that responsibility. Now I think this has often been oversimplified. Uh, we think that someone makes this decision uh, just simply when they raise their hand or they walk forward in a room or they repeat a prayer and we kind of boil it down to like just that moment. I want to say, like, there's a lot more going on. It takes time and it's a process to reach a place where someone says, I want to stop trying to control everything and run my own life, and instead I want to look to Jesus and everything I do. Like, that is, that is a process. The decision doesn't really just happen in a moment. Uh, I've heard my dad talk about this. He, my dad did not grow up in a Christian home. I did not grow up going to church. Actually grew up basically as the first a non-Catholic family in Pierce. <laughs> All right, and like it was just crazy. Like they moved there, like literally, we were the only one. And so it, this was not a background for him at all. Uh, and then he talks about when he was in college, he started having some conversations with a friend. It was actually at the friend's bachelor party. And he said it was a process over this time where a month or a little bit more later, he actually then vocally made a decision, I want to follow Jesus. But every time I've heard him tell this story, he never really talks about how that was actually the moment where, where like he made that decision. He's like, I don't know when it was, but he's like, I know I made that decision earlier. Like it was this, it was this time of kind of growing and, and, and thinking about this and moving in that direction. He's like, yeah, there was one moment where I physically responded, but he said that this was a process in his life. All right. Uh, and, and I think this happens a lot with people. I think that when someone is making the decision to follow Jesus, and it's not just like an emotional moment, uh, many times it's something that's been built up over weeks, months, or maybe even years. All right, so I want to try and put this on a visible scale for us to make this easier, okay? Uh, showing that this is kind of a process or a journey. All right, so let's give it kind of like a 1 to 10 on this scale. All right, and 1 is someone who... They want absolutely nothing to do with God. Like, they're like, nope, I don't believe in God. That's not real, or I want nothing to do with it. Uh, this is not on my radar. Don't even bother talking to me about it. I am, you know, almost hostile against this. Okay, and then 10 on the scale being the place when someone actually uh, vocally or physically, like, makes a decision to follow Jesus, saying, I am I'm going to do this. All right, so you kind of see this scale behind me. People will move up and down this scale at various times in their life. Okay, there might be times where they are more open to talking about God and other times where they, they don't want to at all. And there are a lot of things that actually play into this. 
All right, so like think about this with me. Uh, to give your life to Jesus, you have to be able to trust God. So somebody who has a lot of trust issues and has been betrayed and had people, they've put their, their, their trust in someone and they've let them down and now you're going to them saying, hey, I want you to completely trust God. Right? Like all of those trust issues that they've had are going to push them further this direction. To give up our life, we have to realize that there is something more than just living here. There is something more important. There is a greater purpose to our life. So if someone is living their life and everything is going great, everything is perfect, they have an amazing job, they are raking in the amount of money they want, their house is great, their car is great, their family is great, okay, in a way, that's going to move them down this scale. Because in order to truly give our life to Jesus, we have to say, my life is not complete. I need something else. My life is empty. There is something more. But if the life that we are living seems to be ticking all those boxes for us, we are going to move that direction. All right, and I think this is why so often you see people who uh, maybe around the world or different places, like when life is really hard, when things are going poorly, that's when they might be more open to this. And, and what we have to be careful as Christians is that there isn't like emotional manipulation. Like, oh, they're in this really bad spot. Let's get them. Like, that, that's not right either. But just understand that for every individual, they, they, we move up and down. Or if you've given your life to Jesus, you probably aren't on the scale anymore. But, but for people that haven't, like, they move up and down on this scale. Okay. Uh, I think to live for Jesus, you have to be willing to accept forgiveness and to give forgiveness. So when people have a lot of hurts in their life, it's going to be a lot harder for them to accept forgiveness, to, to give forgiveness. That's going to move where they are on this. When someone is prideful, it would push them away from needing God. You need humility to say, God, I, I need you in my life. Whether someone has had good examples of someone leveling them without any conditions put on it. Like, that makes a difference. If someone feels welcomed into a group, uh, they would probably feel like it's a group that they want to be part of. When someone learns about God, learns about the Bible, learns about his character, all of those things play into this. Do we understand this? Are, are you kind of tracking with me on this? Now, here's something interesting. There was actually a study that was done uh, kind of using this idea about different generations. Now, the baby boomer generation, if you're part of that, you grew up in a world where most likely you went to church. Whether you really considered yourself a Christian or not, you just went to church. It's what everybody did. And you grew up in a world that actually set you up to be in a place where it was easier to say, I, I want God. And this study found that most boomers just naturally, by living their life and by going through the things in their life, that they fell uh, somewhere kind of like as a seven or an eight. They were just ready for it. Now Gen Z, the generation that's coming up, the world that they live in, think about it. It is a different world, isn't it? It is a, a vastly different world. And most Gen Z, they naturally in their life, they will actually fall between like a two and a four. So you understand that there, there's a lot of work to be done. There's relationship to be built. There are things that have to happen for people to reach a place to say, I want God. Like a lot of people are like, oh, you know, every, everything's terrible. Like we used to be able to do an altar call at church and the altars would be filled. Yeah, because an altar call works when someone is at seven, eight, or nine. 
Altar calls do not, they don't always work in the same way. I'm not going to say they don't work, but when someone is down there and they have a lot of baggage, a lot of things that they're saying, I, I'm not ready for this yet. So understand, like, and I'm, I'm not saying that, that this is like a requirement for salvation. Okay, I'm not adding anything to salvation. Salvation is through faith in Jesus. We know that. But what we have to understand is that people are at different places when it comes to God. And I think most of you guys, do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Are you tracking with me? Nod your head yes if you're like, yes, this makes sense. I know people in my life that I could put on this end, and I know people in my life I could put on that end, and everything in between. And me personally, I have probably, I can look at the seasons of my life where I was like this. This is what I mean when I say it's a journey. And we play a massive part in this journey for other people. Oftentimes when we talk about sharing our faith with people, uh, we get like so incredibly anxious and worried. Like uh, we think that, oh man, I have to be a good communicator. I have to know a ton of things about the Bible. Uh, I have to be able to answer any question that they might ask and defend anything that I believe. All right, like that, that's not necessarily the case. We don't need to psych ourselves out like that. I want us to understand that there's, there's a whole lot of different things that we do to help someone move up this. And understand that what we call evangelism is every single step of this scale. Evangelism is not just 9 to 10. Evangelism is every single step of this. And we have to understand that. I want to cover three ways that I think we can help people move forward on this journey and therefore be part of evangelism. Okay? And as I share these three ways, I'm going to go uh, through uh, kind of from what I would consider to be the least intimidating way. Okay? So if, I, if I'm up here today and I'm saying, hey, you need to go this week, you need to evangelize. And you're like, oh, no. All right, like this first one, I'm going to go least intimidating. And, and I'm going to tell you, I don't think... It, any of them are really that intimidating, but let's start off easy here, okay? All of these are within our grasp. The first way to evangelize is pretty simple. Build a mat. And you're probably like, I have no idea. Like, I know what that sentence means, but that makes no sense with what you're talking about. Okay, that's fine. Mark chapter 2 has this awesome story that I want to share part of. It says this, when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door while he was preaching God's word to them. Four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. For these four friends, their job was just to get their friend to a place where he could encounter Jesus. They didn't have to heal him. They didn't have to do that. Sometimes evangelism is as simple as just inviting someone to a place where you know they have a greater chance of experiencing Jesus. It can be that simple. The most simple ways of doing this is inviting somebody to church. Seriously, like, that's building a mat. That's saying, how can, I, how can I invite somebody and move them from this place to a place, like physically, where they might actually have a chance to encounter Jesus in a different way? All right, now that could happen anywhere, okay? It does not have to be church. But I'm just saying, like, that, that's an easy thing. Like, this is set up for that. And there are times when we do things as a church simply so that it's easier for you to invite friends to it. 
when I used to lead a youth group in Duluth, uh, we would do a Valley Fair Day every year. And, and I would tell the kids, I'd get up there and be like, okay, you need to understand, my job is to help you spiritually grow. That is part of my job. And I'm going to tell you right now that whether or not you go to Valley Fair is not high on my priority list of you growing spiritually. All right, it just isn't. Valley Fair is one of those fun things. But I said, you want to know why we do this? We aren't doing this so that you can just have something fun to do. We are doing this because it is easier to invite your friends to go to Valley Fair with you than it is to walk through the doors of a church. We are building you a mat, handing you the mat, and saying, here you go. Bring your friends to a place where maybe they can encounter God. And I think that, that like, we need to understand, we do that as a church. We have certain events that we, may, we, we plan them so that they're easy for you to invite people to. All right? And there are just certain times of the year that are easier to invite people. Like, come Easter time, most people are looking for a place to go to church. Come Christmas time, like, that's just... There's still a lot of people. They may not show up every Sunday, but they're like, ah, you know, those kind of major holidays. I'm going to show up. All right, like there are just times where it's easier to do this, and this shouldn't be intimidating to us. You don't have to have any special knowledge or skills to do this. You just need to have maybe a little bit of a relationship with someone who needs Jesus. Now, that could be you've known them for a couple of minutes. Pastor Corey's amazing at this. He's always like going through the line at Coburn's uh, in Sox Center, and he just, every person he talks to, he finds a way to kind of throw it in there like, hey, you should come to church. Some people do that, it sounds forced, and it sounds uh, really hard. Like, uh, there, there are people in our church that do this. Like, when, when I meet someone new who walks through the doors for the first time in our church, I often will try and say something like, hey, how'd you hear about our church, or what brought you in today, or any of those? And, uh, and he's going to hate that I'm saying this, but like, I'll bet you half the people that walk through our doors are like, yeah, you know, I went to Mike Dennery, and he was just inviting me in. He said, hey, I, I, you should come to church with me. I'm saving a seat for you. I'm like, I love that. I love that. It is so easy to do. And I know I've sat and listened to him talk about this. And he, it's not that every single person that, that comes into his office he does this with. He, he is genuinely praying and relying on the Holy Spirit to lead him in these conversations. All right? I would say probably the second person, at least to my knowledge that I know, that does an amazing job at this is my son, Reuben. <laughs> All right? Like, Mike, between you and Reuben, this town, they're going to know Jesus. All right, like it just is one of those things. I, I love Reuben, and I, I've had to tell his teachers at the elementary every single year, you need to understand, I'm a pastor. I am not putting my son up to this. I am not telling him that he has to go and do all of these different things. This is what he wants to do. Last year he asked, can you make me cards that have details on them? Because his friends were showing up on like Sunday night. Like we don't even have anything on Sunday night, Reuben. What are you doing? Well, they came. To an empty building with the lights off. And you're like, you feel bad for these parents. They're like, what is going on here? And so like he, but here's the thing. He just, he loves, he loves his time here. He loves it here. And he loves his friends. So why wouldn't his friends want to be here with him? Like that's his attitude in life. And it's so amazing to see. When people come to church, our hope is that they can be part, that we can be part of moving them closer to God. Maybe they used to go to church and they got hurt and we want to help them heal. Maybe they didn't like church because it was boring. Well, hopefully we can maybe change a little bit of that mindset. Maybe they thought they wouldn't be accepted into a church crowd because they aren't the typical churchgoer. Well, let's break that mold. Let's move them. Because we love. 
All of these things are part of the journey towards Jesus. Just build a mat, build a way where you can get them closer to him. Picture yourself just carrying them right to a spot where they are laying right at the feet of Jesus and you're like, all right, now it's out of my hands. I don't change anybody's life. He does. But I can get them to him. Second way, first one's build a mat. Second way is this, share your story. Sharing stories of what God has done in your life, okay? And this could be big, it could be small, uh, but doing it often and in a way that doesn't feel forced. And this doesn't mean that you have to share, like, I think lots of times, I don't know where this happened, but we came up with this idea that, like, our testimony is the time that we, like, raised our hand or repeated a prayer or went forward somewhere, Okay, like, uh, let's, let's get this right. A testimony is us talking about something that God is doing in our life. How often does God work in your life? He works in my life every day. I just don't always recognize it. So if he works in my life every single day, then it would stand to say that I have 365 testimonies a year minimum. I just need to get better at recognizing them. And any one of those, some of those stories are going to be better for one person to hear. Some of them are better for another person to hear. But what I first need to do is be able to actually recognize those things and keep them in my mind, what God is doing. In John chapter 4, we see Jesus interacting with a Samaritan woman at a well. His disciples have gone into town and Jesus stays behind. Uh, he has these back and forth moments with the woman. She is shocked that he's even talking to her because he's Jewish. She is Samaritan and they do not Mix, all right? They don't associate with each other. He does this little thing where he says, hey, uh, why don't you go get your husband? And she's kind of sheepishly like, oh, I don't have a husband. He's like, I know you don't. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with right now is not your husband. In one of those moments where you're, I'm sure she was like, what? You know, and you just want to like, I'm just going to fall into this well here and die. <laughs> you know, like, uh, and, and so Jesus has this little thing uh, back and forth with her. Uh, and she's like, how did you know this? You must be a prophet. And she talks about a few things. She says, I know there's going to be a Messiah that comes to our rescue uh, and explain everything to us. And Jesus says back to her, I am that Messiah. All right? The disciples come back. She leaves and goes into town. And I want to pick up reading wait, right in this spot and then jump down to the end of the story as well. All right, so John chapter 4, this is in, in verse 28. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Jump to verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. So this woman, just by sharing what Jesus had done in her life, ends up leading the entire town out to him. God is working in every single one of our lives. Whether we recognize it, whether we acknowledge it, he is working in our lives. But we need to often slow down and reflect on what he's doing. So that we can actually remember and recall these stories. People might be able to argue with you about what you believe about. Okay, maybe you've shared before, I believe in God and this. And they argue with you like, ah, oh, no, I got, there's no way God can be real and this, this, and this. I'll tell you this, I have yet to have in my life, me share a story and say... 
can I tell you about something God did in my life? And I share that. I've never had someone say, that didn't happen. People can't argue with your experience. Like, they can argue with maybe what, what you believe and say, I don't believe that. But it's a whole different thing to try and argue with someone's experience and say, you're lying, that didn't happen, you're crazy. Now, maybe that'll happen. All right, but the reality is, is sharing your experiences, sharing your stories, sharing things from your life, it carries a different weight. It's no longer just preaching at somebody. They're your experiences. Too often, I think we say catchy things like, it's not religion, it's a relationship, right? And yet, we never talk about the relationship. If it's a relationship, there should be stories. Emily's and my relationship has many, many stories. Some I never want to share, going back to our dating years. Some that are great, cute stories, but it has stories because it's a relationship. All right, if you're going to use a catchy phrase like that, all right, like, could you imagine being married to somebody for 30 years? Someone says, hey, tell me a story uh, about you and your spouse, you know, or being friends with someone for 30 years. Tell me, tell me a story about you and your friend. Well, you know, once a week we try and hang out on Sunday morning, and it's, it's good, and then sometimes I do something else during the week. Like, if you just start telling them about you going to church, you understand that's, that's, Okay, don't say that's a relationship, that's religion. If you have a relationship with Jesus, what stories do you have? How is he working? How is he moving in your life? No one outside looking in is going to want that religion or that relationship if you just don't have any stories of what God is doing. Whatever it is you call it. Talk about what God's doing. Or maybe first pay attention Begin to journal and write things down. Make notes of something. Talk to someone who you're close with. Hey, how is God showing up in my life? How is he showing up in our life? Let's remember some of these things. It's not hard. It shouldn't be intimidating. Number two, share your story. Number three, the last one, share his story. This is the one that might be the most intimidating for people. It shouldn't be. This is just sharing what it is that God has done for us, what Jesus has done. And not just what he did because he, you know, that, that's amazing, but sharing what that means for us today. Not just, hey, you know, Jesus died and he rose again and you should really consider being part of this. You know, like, actually, like, that made a difference. It changes the way that we live. Sharing all of this, that's the whole point of this. Like, we just finished going through the book of Acts and from the very beginning of it, Acts 2, Peter gets up and preaches to the crowd on the day of Pentecost and he tells them what God has done, what Jesus has done, and how that changes everything, and how they can be part of it. And Peter and John continue to do this at different times. They get thrown in jail for it. Paul does this as he travels around that area. All right, every village, town, or city that he goes into. This is a crucial part. The sharing of Jesus' story is what actually makes it possible to move from 9 to 10. That is what makes it possible. You can't move from 9 to 10 without knowing what is actually going on in the gospel. This is crucial. This has to be part of it somewhere. I've always loved the quote that says, preach the gospel often and when necessary, use words. 
And it's, it's hinting at the idea that the way that we live, the actions we, we take, are preaching the gospel louder than our words might. Now that, that might be true, but you always will need words as well. You can't separate these. You can't really just have words. Like, if you are just words and none of your actions line up with what you're saying, no one is going to want that. You can't separate these things. It takes both. You're always going to need words. So I want to challenge us this week. Using our voice, whether to invite someone to a place where they can experience God, or to share what God has done in our life or our family, or to share what God has done in our world. Like our voice is an integral part of building the kingdom of God locally. And I think the biggest pushback is usually from people saying, well, that might be easy for you, but that's just not me. That's not my personality. I get that, I do, but, but don't exaggerate how easy it is for others and exaggerate how hard it is for you, because that's often what we do. In some way, shape, or form, we are called to be part of this. Now, I, I want to say this, like, I love that one of the main analogies that we use for the church is the human body, and scripture talks about how we all have different gifts. And I know that we all have different personalities and different comfort zones and different giftings, okay? And I do believe that God wants to use you in a way that complements the way he made you. He made you very specifically. All right? Like he did. And he wants to use you in a way that complements the way that he made you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you with this. Like this is why that scale from 1 to 10 is important. Every single person who calls himself a Christian needs to be part of moving others on that scale. All right, what I am not saying is that every single Christian has to do the same part or be in the same area or move someone from a 9 to a 10. That might be one person's giftings. Maybe your giftings are best used reaching people that are really hurting and they have lost uh, all trust and all hope in the world. And you are so good at just reaching them right where they are and saying, let me... Well, let me just be here for you. Let me just love. And maybe that is your gifting. That's where you are best used. Okay? And you need to just move people from a one to a two. And then you hand them off to somebody who's going to move them from a three to a four, five to a six, seven to an eight. This is why we are the body of Christ. We have different giftings. And I would say that as someone moves uh, through this, you know, like you might have the gift of hospitality. And the gift of hospitality is going to work great moving someone into a place where they are more comfortable saying, yeah, I, I'm more open to this. I feel loved. I feel welcomed. And you're just going to have people over to your house and you're going to serve them dinner and you're going to sit there and you're going to talk and you're going to hear their story and their life. All right? As someone moves through this scale, I do not think that one person should be responsible for all of it. I actually would argue that that probably is unhealthy in a way. I would say at minimum you should have two. But the reality is, is the more people are invested in someone's life, the more they are likely to succeed. So learn, what, what are your gifts? How can God use you in evangelism? And take a big picture look at what evangelism truly is. Figure out your giftings and then just begin to, begin to allow God to use you in that. Move people down the line. That sounds bad like it's like an assembly line and we're just here like 
forcing people through. No, it's not it at all. It's, it's this idea of just loving somebody, grabbing them by the hand and saying, hey, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. And remember, this doesn't stop at a 10. When we hit 10, that's actually where our job begins. All right? Like, we like to separate this idea of salvation and discipleship. There's no separation. Discipleship starts when they're at a 1, and it doesn't stop until we're standing in front of Jesus. Okay? Like, that, that's what our job is. Go into the world and make disciples, not converts. This is what we're called to do as a church. And I think we just need to extend our idea of what that looks like and be willing to, to be okay with the fact that, that not every single one of us is going to have the same job and the same process in this. Does that make sense? The fuel for effective evangelism is always relationship. All right? The fuel for effective evangelism is relationship. Can evangelism happen without relationship? Yep. But you better believe that when you start to put fuel on that fire, when you start to have a relationship with somebody, it's going to grow. It's going to grow. So where are you at in this? Where are you strong? Where are you weak? Where do you need to grow? What areas really complement who God created you to be? Let's stand across this room as we just kind of bring this to a close. I think at times it's been the church's fault that people aren't part of evangelism. Because sometimes the church will paint this picture of something really small of what it is. Maybe even a pastor will get up there and be like, you know, like, and they'll highlight the parts of evangelism that highlight their gifts. Because then all of a sudden they look really good. Like, oh, our pastor's good at this. But the reality is that there are so many pieces so many pieces in this. So I want you to think like, okay, what mats do you have? What mats can you build? How can I get someone closer? Maybe they'll never step foot through the doors of the church. We had a youth girl in Duluth. Her family walked into church. There was something going on. It was a play. The parents didn't like it or different things like that. And they're like, they told their daughter, She's in middle school. Like you'll never, you'll never go to that church, never. Well, we started a small group in one of her friends' homes, and she started coming to that because she wasn't going to church. She's going to a friend's house. And over time, she just grew and grew, and she became so hungry for God. And a month ago, Emily and I drove back up to Duluth for her grad party, and I am close with every single member of her family, her parents. And they talk about just how much God has impacted them and how much things have changed. The daughter now is going down to North Central, uh, going to a Christian school and just kind of like moving in this direction. And it, it started with, you will never step foot in that church. All right? Like that's where some people are at. They're, they're, they're way down. And we have to be willing to just meet them there and say, it's okay that you're here. I'm not even going to try and argue with you. I'm not even going to say that you're wrong. I'm just going to meet you right where you're at. And through various things, we're going to slowly walk this direction. So what's your role in this? How confident are you in sharing the stories that Jesus has done in your life? 
If we passed the microphone right now and said, everyone, share something God did in your life this week. Do you have something that comes to your mind? I would say he's probably done something in your life this week. We just move so fast that we ignore it. We don't recognize it. We don't acknowledge it. Remember as a kid, always praying before we take off on a trip for like safe travels, traveling mercies. How often did we actually like get there and then be like, oh God, thank you for getting us here safely. Never. (laughs) No, dad was a good driver. That's why we got there safely. You know, like we just, we ignore the things that God does in our life for us. And I want to challenge, I want to challenge you to start to recognize those. Start to familiarize yourself with God's story. Could you share that with somebody? All right. I'm going to pray. And then uh, I have one last thing after that, that, that I want to say. So God, I pray that this week, Lord, right now, in every single one of our lives, God, that we would just begin to recognize the ways that you are moving, the things that you are doing in our life. Lord, and I, I pray that, uh, God, that those stories would just pop into our mind as we're sitting with somebody, talking with somebody, as, as they're maybe going through a hard time, that, that we, can, we can share a similar time that we've gone through, but then how you were there for us. God, I pray that each one of us individually would actually be part of of this, part of evangelism. That we would see that as our role, our responsibility, our job. We would take it seriously. Lord, every morning we'd wake up with eyes looking at how we can serve, how we can use our actions, and how we can use our words to honor you. God, I know that if our church, if every single one of us did that, this town would be flipped upside down. So God, we pray that we would just have the the insight, the courage, the wisdom, whatever it is that we need to be part of this this week. Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen.